Welcome to RPM, the podcast that explores the world of private markets. I'm your host, Maribel Yu. Many investors are wondering about the potential effects on their portfolios because of the current economic environment, deeply impacted by rising inflation, interest rates, and geopolitical instability. In this episode, we're going to talk specifically about the venture capital ecosystem as we navigate this challenging economic environment. Here with me to discuss the current VC landscape from fundraising to liquidity is John Averett, a partner on our venture capital and growth equity team at Stepstone. John, thanks so much for joining me. Welcome to RPM. Thanks for having me. I'm excited for the conversation today. Absolutely. Now let's get started with the venture fundraising environment. According to PitchBook, VC funds raised over $138 billion in 2021. What venture fundraising trends do you see for the remainder of this year in 2023? Yeah, absolutely. So yeah, last year was uh, was an epic year from a fundraising perspective in venture capital, also from a deployment uh, in terms of investments as well. Uh, the, the first nine months or so of this year were, were actually pretty busy as well. Uh, a lot of fund managers uh, were coming back to market despite despite the macro. Uh, we are seeing slowness now, kind of uh, t- towards the tail end here of Q3 into Q4, and we'd expect uh, additional slowness in, in 2023. Uh, a lot of folks have raised, again, meaningful sums of capital, either this year or last year. The deployment paces have slowed down uh, in terms of net new deals, follow-ons, et cetera. So we'd expect, uh, because of those dynamics in terms of investments, that the pace of fund managers coming back to market will will slow down. Uh, that being said, there's just been a lot of funds that have been raised over the last uh, decade plus. I mean, our estimation is there's probably close to 2,000 net new funds. Um, so there are there are going to be a lot of funds that that do have to raise for better or for worse, even in a more challenging macro. But the dollars, when you start reading sort of pitch book data or other data sources out there, is always skewed by the larger uh, venture funds or growth equity funds or others that raise you know billion, multi billion dollar uh, dollars. So it'll be interesting to look at statistics, both in terms of dollars, but also number of funds raising and then net new funds being created, which but again, we're, we're seeing on the net new funds being created that that dramatically falling off uh, already. For sure. Now, the last time fundraising significantly dropped was during and immediately after the global financial crisis. Now, while the underlying economic conditions are very different now compared to 2009, do you think this gives us any insight into what may lie ahead? It's a great question, and I've been been chatting with a variety of constituents about this. Uh, you know, I, I started in the venture asset class in in '05, so I had a number of years kind of leading up to this, and then seeing, you know, all of what happened uh, during the the financial crisis. And the interesting thing now is that you know the asset class has grown significantly in size uh, because a broader subset of allocators are interested in investing in the asset class because of the the very strong performance uh, of venture historically and in its future prospects as well and so i think as you look forward you have certain allocators who've been longtime believers in the asset class that with the things that are happening in macro may be over allocated or have less dollars to deploy because of They've just been significant participants and that's worked very well. Uh, You have others that uh, are kind of steady as you go um, and maybe allocating very similarly. And then you have newer allocators that maybe uh, hadn't been aggressively investing in venture capital, 
and and look at sort of the downturn here is potentially a top to, uh, an opportunity to go uh, heavier. And so in 09, 2010, and kind of similarly in, in 01, 2002, et cetera, it was like all the all the water moved in one direction, which in this in those cases was was away from the asset class. Uh, in this situation, it's a bit different where there's some that are leaning in, some that are status quo and others that are leaning out. So I think that's going to create sort of just more unpredictability around the fundraising environment in the future. But I think the one thing you could probably predict within sort of what I just described is likely, you know, in these time periods, there tends to be a flight towards quality. So the folks that are allocating will likely, again, focus more on the established organizations with more proven track records, teams and platforms and emerging managers uh, will have more struggles uh, relative to that. Absolutely. Now, let's switch gears a bit. Last year, we saw historic levels invested in the U.S. VC ecosystem with over $340 billion invested. Can you talk about how the current economic environment has impacted investments? Sure. Yeah. And I think it's it's worthy to kind of quickly unpack last year's numbers as, as well. You know, last year's number uh, was a historic number. It was the, the highest in venture history. But if, if you unpack it a little bit more, uh, roughly half those dollars that you described, uh, according to PitchBook, came from non-traditional venture capitalists. So these could be hedge funds or mutual funds or sovereign wealth funds and the like. Um, and so as you look forward, I think one of the big questions out there for uh, the industry is, you know, are these sources going to continue to be committed to the asset class? Or have some of those sources, which again, many of their roots may be a bit more tied to public market investing, have they retreated and gone back to areas where they historically had focused more. So I, I think there's there are, again, more variables as you think about the dollars uh, potentially coming into the system in the years to come, because the dollars raised and the dollars deployed, unlike uh, prior, you know, time periods where there was tighter correlation, there's a lot of pools that are actually not captured in the dollars raised uh, because it's sort of the nature of them. So I think, again, that's like worth worth noting. And then if you think about like the investment pace out there and what we've seen uh, because of the, the meaningful uh, reduction in value that's happened in the public markets, the uh, capital markets slow down and the macro where in many cases um, companies growth has become less predictable than it once was uh, because again some of those macro the investors have been more patient and cautious to deploy um capital uh because you know the bid ask spread between where they might want to invest which again might be tied more to public market multiples that have come down significantly uh, the inability in some cases to have as strong a grip around what 2022 or 2023 financials could look like have given uh, investors pause or created sort of disconnect between investors and entrepreneurs to, to have those sort of bid-ass spreads come together. The other dynamic that's really different um, here that, that in prior go-arounds, what I just described actually tends to happen in prior go-arounds, uh, downturns, is that the the balance sheets of these businesses are stronger today uh, than in any other sort of downturn out there. So they have more significant cash on their balance sheets where those entrepreneurs and, and the syndicate members of those 
uh, companies can decide to not raise. Um, and they're oftentimes taking additional steps to extend runway uh, in this environment where they're moving from maybe hyper growth uh, and in some cases less efficient growth to more efficient growth focused on unit economics, uh, which in imply in many cases doing rifts where they're extending runway and therefore not having to raise for uh, you know even greater times. And so because of that, some of those you know high profile great companies aren't raising capital. Uh, and therefore again that naturally slows down the the, the pace of investment. You know, the area where kind of pulling bid ass spread together and need for capital uh, versus uh, availability of capital and the like that does come together more quickly is obviously at the at the pure early stage in company formation as those companies don't have uh, don't have balance sheets to to get going. And so um, I think that's where you'll see and have seen. Uh, you know, movements uh, from a valuation perspective, maybe more briskly than what you'd see at sort of the growth stage. But these things take time to play out. And, uh, you know, venture capitalists and entrepreneurs, again, are doing a lot of internal work around their portfolios, the companies, um, in order to kind of optimize or retain kind of current or future value. And so because of all those dynamics, you've just seen you know, a meaningful slowdown, in particular in, in Q2 into Q3, where Q3 numbers aren't out yet, but uh, we'd expect that to to be pretty meaningful in terms of drop-off in Q3. Um, and in, in, you know, 2023 and 2024, I think you're gonna see more activity as some of those pieces that I described kind of better align. Yeah, so speaking of historic levels, last year was one of the largest liquidity years for the venture capital asset class. How has this market affected liquidity? Yeah, so the capital markets for, for initial public offerings, direct listings, SPACs, uh, and, and the like, uh, have, have significantly slowed. Um, you know, it's been one of the slowest years in, in history um, in, in all of those, those activities. But clearly, you know, when valuations have sort of dropped off a, a cliff from the public markets, uh, public market investors are more interested in, in profitable businesses. Uh, you know, that's created sort of the venture class of companies less interested in, in testing what are, you know, very volatile public markets. And so, you know, there is a very strong class of high caliber growth stage companies uh, that are choosing not to go public. Many of them could go public, uh, but they would likely be at, at valuations um, or with kind of shareholder basis, potentially buying it at IPO that might not be as, as ideal. So I think those companies will eventually tap the markets um, and we'll have to see when they, the public markets open. Uh, again, for these businesses, it could be later in 2023, it could be 2024. Um, you know, the important thing for those businesses is to continue to, to do things uh, that, that create kind of future value. Uh, where you are seeing kind of more activity, and I think a bit more of the story of, of 2022 into 2023, is financial sponsors, them going after private companies and or venture-backed companies that may have gone public, um, may still have significant ownership by, by venture capital firms. So, you know, you've seen groups like Toma Bravo or Vista and others kind of become active in that space where, again, these companies, in some cases publicly, are, are trading at, at below historical mean and medians, uh, revenue multiples, and those 
uh, private equity firms are going for, for take privates and the like. Now, getting bid-ask spreads and all those things to the line is definitely easier said than done. But, you know, private equity has become a much more active player in liquidity. And that's not just a 2022 phenomenon. Uh, that had really been happening over the last three to four years. Uh, where a whole host of private equity firms were coming down in venture and, and, and acquiring or investing in minority stakes into technology and growth businesses. So I think that's gonna be a really important piece of the equation. And strategics have been less active. Uh, you know, the industry definitely needs them to be more active. Uh, it can be challenging when you've got publicly traded companies who are your typical acquirers and, and with their stock fluctuations and uh, investors maybe looking for them to do a creative, meaning profitable deals, uh, buying something. Uh, unprofitable can can ultimately get dig, but you've seen some mega transactions happen out there. I mean, Figma uh, being bought by Adobe is is one to note uh, for sure. And there's been sort of a number of things in the gaming space that have happened. So, um, yeah, I think what people forget about venture capital is that while IPOs are incredibly important uh, and driven a lot of returns in the industry. You know, M&A is the largest source of liquidity uh, historically within the asset class, whether it's again, looking at venture capital as outsourced R&D for, for large organizations who, you know, increasingly all are becoming tech companies, or now, you know, financial buyers who either have assets where they might want to buy another company and put them together and or to build platforms. So, you know, M&A uh, is, is definitely gonna be an important part of the liquidity uh, cycle for for venture capitalists, and uh, I know I know a lot of venture capitalists the like are kind of focusing on how to how do they monetize their businesses utilizing this this path. Yeah, I can definitely see M and A activity as one to pick up, as well as uh, improving secondary market opportunity. Now, the current market correction appears to be a healthy recalibration for the venture ecosystem and a compelling opportunity for VC investors. Why do you believe now is an opportune time to be investing in venture capital? Yeah, uh, th there's a number of really interesting things that are happening that uh, have the ability for these future vintages uh, to be high performing ones. Uh, and I think some of what you have to look at is some of the, the, the micro dynamics that are happening on the playing field uh, from, a, from a company creation perspective. So when you think about company creation there's a lot of inputs that go into into that um, in terms of that company building and then capital formation and the like that that do have ramifications on on exits and outcomes and returns down the road so let me just talk about a few of those uh, I think that are, are are relevant. So one is is labor is becoming more available for startup companies. Um, variety of factors in that, right? Whether it's big tech doing riffs, unicorns, decacorns doing riffs. Uh, and so talent is sort of becoming more available for, for younger startup companies. Um, talent's also becoming cheaper, uh, which is again, been one of the issues for these younger companies to compete uh, against a variety of folks uh, that have much bigger balance sheets. So that is a, a positive factor. Uh, I also think that COVID has had a positive factor in, in terms of hybrid work, uh, where companies are able to build teams and notably executive teams on a more distributed basis, uh, which again, historically have been an issue of pulling together C-suite teams or executive teams and having them all in one location or a variety of them in a location. So I think, you know, the ability to go 
build those teams and leverage hybrid is actually a really positive thing from a company building perspective. Now there's cultural ramifications that one needs to to navigate, but I think that is an aggregate of positive. Um, you know, real estate in many cases has become you know cheaper for companies uh, to to get and acquire versus you know in, in other periods in the market when. Uh, your competitors or peer groups that are starting companies or even in your comp set are raising less money. That actually also tends to be a good thing where uh, there is an aspect where you've seen in more recent times where a variety of companies are kind of, quote unquote, keeping up with the Joneses where a competitor raises 50, 100 million. Thus, you feel compelled to do that, um, to compete with them. So, you know, that ultimately uh, creates businesses that tend to be more capital efficient. They have to do more with less, which again is, is typically a positive in terms of the, the DNA of the company and, and some of the, the unit economics and efficacy of how they, they spend and use and build their businesses. Uh, valuations are, are clearly coming down, so investors are able to buy more with less uh, mathematically as as part of that, and that has again ramifications uh, down the road in terms of ownership and, and what those terminal outcomes look like years and years down the road. Um, and then importantly, you know, forget about all those little micro things that are kind of tied into kind of like company specific. Um, you know, the macro in terms of tech trends is still incredibly strong. I mean, we are in a cloud computing super cycle, um, you know, just, you know, picking one, right? And so many of the things that folks got euphoric about over the last three to five years, they haven't gone anywhere. Uh, many of them are, are growing at similar clips. You know, there's some that are growing a bit slower, but they're still growing at relatively hyper rates uh, compared to other segments of the economy. And so, you know, those all tend to be favorable things from a company creation perspective. And, uh, you know, the other piece I think people have to give zoom out is like, you can't get too cute in this asset class. Uh, you know, great companies were built in, in the best of times and in the worst of times. Clearly there's there's a lot of great examples and even the most recent, you know, downturn of companies that, that were built, you know, the Twitters or Zoom Informations or Shopify's or Bill.com's or Airbnb's of the world. Um, and so, yeah, I think we're, you know, quite optimistic uh, that these, you know, handful of, of vintage years in front of us have a number of dynamics that should be quite favorable at the early stage uh, for venture capitalists and for entrepreneurs to, to be, build durable businesses. Clearly, it'll be harder for those entrepreneurs to, to raise capital relative to their peers. Um, you might see an even hardened, uh, an even deeper hardened group of entrepreneurs that want to go build businesses because it'll clearly be harder and in any cases more challenging and difficult. But, you know, those are going to be really positive DNA, uh, I think, to build really good businesses over, over the long run. Very much looking forward to seeing what these companies do. Now, John, looks like we've run out of time. Thanks again for joining me today. Take care and looking forward to seeing you again soon. Thanks for having me. That does it for this episode of RPM. For more information on all things Stepstone Venture, follow us on Twitter at StepstoneVC or visit us at StepstoneGroup.com. RPM is available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, and other podcast platforms. Oh.